blood for us, Jesus. Father, that blood that reaches to the highest mountains and it flows to every lowest valley, Father. That's why we are here, Lord. We commit ourselves into your hands this very moment, Lord, with a heart burnt towards you, Lord. We declare and proclaim your majesty, Lord. We declare and proclaim your kinship, Lord. We declare and proclaim your supremacy over every creation, Lord. We exalt you, Lord. Father, we have come together this very moment with hearts that are burdened. Father, with gaping wounds. Father, we are here because we are so broken, Father. You see every tear that runs through our eyes every moment, Lord. And you have interpretation to all of that. Father, many are here burdened and overwhelmed that, Father, we have no words to articulate what we feel on the inside. But, Father, you see every child of yours this very moment. And I pray your blessed assurance upon every individual here. Father, I pray that you will visit every individual. Let your revival start in our hearts this very moment. Let your revival start in our homes, Lord, in our churches and in our communities, Lord. Because we are serving a powerful God. A God whose yes is yes. And Lord, when you say it is finished, indeed it is finished. So Father, continue to draw us closer to you, Lord. Father, touch these hearts of ours that is so prone to wonder. These hearts that is so prone to lose the God we love, oh God. Please, Lord, bind these hearts with cords of love that can never be broken, Lord. Father, seal, seal our hearts with your love. Father, there are so many here, Father, who, who are so wounded, Lord. And Father, I pray that you will listen to the voice of their hearts as we call on you this moment. I pray that no one will live here the same. Because when we are in your presence, every mountain is flattened. So, Father, I pray that you will touch every individual, that we will all go back home and experience your resurrection power in our lives, every aspect of our lives, Father. As we prepare to receive your word, Lord, I pray that you will illuminate our minds and our hearts, that we will know that you are speaking to us individually in a very intimate and special way, God that your, your word will transform our lives, that we will come out knowing and experience, experiencing that it is by your grace that we live. It is in you that we do all things, O oh God. To you be all glory. To you be all praise, Father. As we pray for this moment, Father, I want to usher our pastor into your hands, O oh God. 
I pray that you will cover him with your special anointing, O Lord. I pray that you will put the words in his mouth to speak to us, O God. I pray and stand in the authority and blood of Jesus Christ, and we nullify any works of the enemy, O God, that you will be exalted in what you have for us this moment. To you be all glory and praise and honor in Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, Deborah. Mother's Day. Well, uh, happy Mother's Day if you're a mom. Uh, and uh, we're glad you're here to celebrate. Uh, this is the day that uh, I decided would be a good day to start a parenting series. Now, I want to just highlight a couple things. Number one, um, once a parent... Ah, that came from those of you that have parent of older children. I have two of my three boys have their own families. They live in other parts of the nation and this North America, actually, and I'm still parenting them. I'll be a different than I did when they were four years old. But oh, once a parent, always a parent. So parenting well isn't just for those of you with small kids or teenagers. Parenting well is how we lead our families. And I, I have never really done a parenting series that much because I was always so conscious of my struggles and failures as a parent. And then I realized you are probably just as conscious of your failures if you're a parent. And uh, you, would, you would feel awkward being up here giving parenting advice. And I thought, well, good, we're on level ground. So we're all struggling to be parents. And there's times we struggle more than not. And so it's safe for me to be up here sharing uh, some biblical advice on parenting. Doesn't mean I had it together or have it together. It just means these are truths from God's word to help us. Coming here in the morning, I pray with a team and they prayed specifically against the demonic activity that's against our, 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 our families. And I thought, if there is one place Satan wants to destroy its homes, because it's the foundation of our culture, it's the foundation of our society, it's the foundation where faith is passed on. You destroy a society, you destroy a church when you destroy its families. And so this, I think, is an important topic for us to address today. Now, when I thought about it, I thought, how am I going to do this? And so I sent an email to about 25 people and said, give me off the top of your head. Don't research it. Don't anything. Just right from your, the top of your head, give me three pieces of advice you would give to somebody who said, hey, give me three good pieces of advice for being a parent. And so those people sent it in, and I was overwhelmed with how much good advice came back at me. And then I realized there is no way I'm going to be able to speak and share all this stuff in four weeks. So our four-week parenting series is now 52 weeks. Parenting for 52 weeks. <laughs> so then I, that forced me to go to the scriptures and say, all this is good, so what, what would I think from scripture would be four things? They're, they're not the only things. That's why as younger parents, if you have older parents, if not your parents, but if you have other parents that are older than you, to go to them because I can't tell you all the advice and principles that relate to every situation you're in, but I can share with you four that stand out in scripture that I think we get our head around these, then we have a fighting chance. That God hasn't left us alone to figure out this parenting thing. 
but he has given us help. So I want to start where God starts. The first principle that I think we need to know and remember that godly parenting is a calling. Godly parenting is a calling. So just a couple of months ago, I was sitting with um, a good friend, a man I respect. He's a little older than me. He's just one of those guys that, you know, whenever you throw anything at him, he has a wise and discerning response. And uh, we were talking about our grandchildren, which grandparents tend to do. And then, uh, if you didn't know this, those of you that uh, have younger kids, we also talk about how our kids are parenting our grandkids. And uh, he said this, and, and it was like, that is the, the essence of godly parenting. He said, you know, I said to my daughter, you know, dear, you only have one job as a parent, and that's to help your kid find Jesus. And I thought, that is the essence of godly parenting. You, you have one job, and that is to help your kids find Jesus. Everything else is secondary. Everything is secondary. That is the essence of what it means to be a godly parent. And, and so our greatest priority as parents is to help our children make Jesus their greatest priority. You get that? So whether you're thinking about having a family or you're just starting, or you're in the middle of the teenage years, or your kids are on their way out the door, it doesn't matter. Your greatest priority is to help your child to make Jesus his or her greatest priority. I had a good friend. He had four kids. Lived four hours away from his parents. And every time his parents came to visit and they'd be driving in the town, his dad would say, well, that looks like a good church. Well, that looks like a good church. Because my friend at that time in his life with his wife and four kids wasn't following God, wasn't teaching his children to follow God. And so his parent would take that opportunity. Because remember, you parent adults differently than you parent children, but you're still parenting. And he was teaching his son, who was into his 30s, and my son, your greatest responsibility, your greatest priority is to help your children make Jesus their greatest priority. And it was on that urging of his parent, like after, I don't know, 500 times he said this, that, that my friend finally said, I need to go to church. Parenting is a calling. The reason I say that is if James 1 is true, every good and perfect gift comes from above. Now, I would say children are a good gift. I'm not sure I'd say they're a perfect gift, but they are a good gift. So if that's true, if every good and perfect gift comes from above, and Psalm 127 is true, where, God, where, where the writer says that children are a gift and an heritage from the Lord, if those two things are true, that means God gave you children and he calls you to do something with it. And my friend understood what that was. That my greatest responsibility, greatest priority, is to help my children make Jesus their greatest priority. That's my one job as a parent. 
That's my one job as a parent. Well, where do I get that from? Well, I just got it from James 1 and Psalm 127, but there is actually a great passage in Deuteronomy 6. I am sure if you've ever gone to church on Mother's Day, at some time you have heard this passage before, but there's a reason for that because it is so powerful in what it teaches. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel. So the, the, the speaker is Moses. <clears throat> And he's talking to Israel, who are the people of God in the Old Testament. Do you know what you are? You're the people of God in the New Testament. So I think what he's going to say to the people of God has application to us. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Stop. Where have you heard that before? Isn't that something Jesus said? Yeah. Jesus was asked, what is the greatest command? When it comes, there's, there's all these commands. There's actually 613 in the, in the Old Testament. But which one? What, what would you, what, if I got to keep one, what is it? And Jesus said, here it is. It's in two parts. Love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. And where did he pull that out of? This passage, which is a passage about parenting. Interesting. The greatest command for us to God is couched in the context of how to parent children. I'd say that this just raised the value or the importance of this passage when Jesus uses it to teach us the greatest command toward God. And that our children are meant to be taught that very thing. To love God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. And so our greatest priority as a parent is to help our children make Jesus their greatest priority. That's, all, that's what it is. That's the job. That's the calling for us as parents. So then he goes on. These commandments I give you today are to be on your hearts. This passing on Jesus is not, a, is not a function thing. It's not just knowing certain things about God. It's not, you know, keeping the rules. It's not about making sure you, you know, you come to church on Sunday and you go to youth group. They are important, but they are not how you learn to have a heart for God. They help that grow, but that's not where your child is supposed to learn how to have a heart with God. In fact, he said, these commandments are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Well, how do I do that, Moses? Talk about them when you sit at home around the table or on the couch or, or when you're putting them to bed. Talk about your love for God. Hold just a second. It assumes something. It does not assume you're perfect. It assumes you love God. We're going to talk about that next. You can't pass on what you don't have. But you, when they're in your home, when you're sitting at home, walking along the road, or driving to hockey, or taking your kid to dance, that's when you talk about these things. When you lie down, when you're putting them to bed, when they get up in the morning, 
tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads so that they're always in front of you. That's the point of that symbolism. Make sure the word of God is just always there. It's always coming up. You're always talking about it. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Surround yourself with the teaching of God and the person of God and talk about it. Let them see your life and how you follow God because following God is something that is caught, not taught. That's why a classroom, a youth group, a Sunday school teacher, a babysitter cannot pass on to your kids what only you can pass on and you can't pass it on if you don't love him. Parenting is a calling to help your G children love Jesus. And you teach it in your home. You can't. Now, schools and youth groups are great to help you in this. But you can't pass it. Don't send your kid to Christian school hoping they'll become, you know, Christians. Or become better kids. God never said that. Don't send them to youth group. And say, do something with my kid. Because God says, no, no, no. You do something with your kid. Now, we work hard. School, youth group, our church programs, our kids, we work hard to teach them and help you as parents. But there is no one that has a greater influence on your kids than you. That's why. That's the way God set it up. And, and so he says, And when the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large, flourishing cities you didn't build, but you're going to get them. Houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide. You're going to walk into a land that's mature and, and prosperous and wealthy. I'm going to give it to you. And wells that you didn't dig and vineyards and olive groves you didn't plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful, be careful, be careful not to forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. Interesting. That in, the, 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 in the, the essence and the reality of your wealth, don't forget who gave it to you. Huh. That might be applicable to us in Canada. So we have this, if you are granted children, and I understand some of you are not. And that is deeply painful. I do not understand why God gives some parents children who just squander and destroy their children's life when there are people who would love and care for a child. I, I don't get it. I don't understand it. I can't explain it. But if you have children, you are called into that position. It's, not, it's just not a, a biological result. A child, according to scripture, is a gift from God to which you will steward that child for a while. 
you will parent them forever. Now remember, I want to stop for a moment and say, Moses says, don't forget, be careful, don't forget, don't forget. Don't forget that your responsibility is to lead them, teach them, help them love God. Now, there are a number of things in this world that get into our families that will take the place of God in our parenting. Again, I don't have the time to talk about all of them, but I want to talk about three things. I just want to talk about three things that can be false gods to us. That we can get distracted as parents and get focused on these things and they kind of push God off to the side. And so our children don't see God, they see more of a false God and they begin to think that's what life is about. And I'd say that's dangerous. Now one of the first things is do not confuse temporary good things with eternal realities. In a world like Canada, we have been extremely blessed, just like Moses said. You're, you're going to receive, you are receiving the bounty. You, you, you have ec economies and educational institutions and roadways and wealth and stable government. You did nothing to earn. All of us, we did nothing to earn it. Don't tell me my taxes built 404. Your taxes at work. Do you see that on the side? It takes more than what I pay in tax to build the 404. It takes a whole lot of us and then a good deal of borrowing. borrowing. So with all this stuff that I enjoy all the time isn't because I'm so great or I've worked so hard. It's because I, was, I won the lottery being born in Canada. So did you. And it's easy for us to get distracted by temporal things. Like what? Sports. <laughs> I said I wasn't going to bring up the Leafs to myself. I, I just said, don't. They're, they're so raw. They're, they're so hurting. Don't, don't bring it up. Don't, don't bring it up. I mean, my team didn't do that good, so why would I be casting stones? I mean, these people have to deal with a new way for their team to disappoint them. Like, I mean, another 20 years and maybe they'll get out of round two. Let's look on the positive side. I, I, I could only wish that we worship with such exuberance as you do when you're in that rink. But our kids think, you know, we train them to think that sports, especially if they're good at them, that will give your life purpose. Or academics. You'll do, you'll do well and you'll go to university and you'll get a great job and you'll be, uh, you know, you'll be successful in life. Music. Looking good. 
ultimately, it all comes down to having money and things. Because money and things are nice. We enjoy them. They make us feel good. I would rather live in comfort than discomfort. I would rather live in this Canada than somewhere else in the world where I'm deprived and wondering if my kids are going to eat every day. Money and things are nice. They're just not eternal. And we have to be very careful of where we put our focus because where we put our focus, guess where our kids focus? We are teaching them. All the time. They're watching us when we're sitting down, when we're on the way, when we're talking and we don't think they're listening, what we give our energy to, how we talk about certain things, how we don't talk about certain They pick it all up. And money and things are an easy God. I went on two missions trips uh, to India and when we went there, we focused. Now, there's a lot of wealth in India, but there's a lot of poverty in, in India. And when we went, we tended to focus on the poorer people and uh, the ministries that I was with. Now, the poor people do have media and access to see what it's like to live in North America, right? The media and the movies and the TV a lot of it around the world shows our lives here. They understand. And, and you know, when you're raising five children on a sidewalk with a tarp over you and you don't have running water, you don't know where you're going to eat, you certainly only have one set of clothes, you know, it's pretty desperate situation. So when you see on media how a Westerner lives, you are awed by that. You're awed by it. In fact, I had a missionary, a Nepali missionary, staying in my home. He could not get over that we had two cars, a house where everybody had their own bedroom, that he went to people's houses in our church. He said, his house is bigger than the prime minister's house at my, in my country. And they, weren't, they were well-to-do, but they weren't really wealthy. We forget. So I'm over there, and I don't know, I mean... In a country of dark-skinned people who are five foot five, I'm six four and pale white, I kind of stood out. Everybody knew I was a Westerner. And everywhere I went, I was treated with respect, even reverence. And I liked it. I should have had the spirit of, oh, no, 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 I'm no better than you. I just happened to win the lottery of life and be born in Canada. That's it. It's not me. It's nothing that I did. You're just looking at a very fortunate person. That's all. But instead, when I was receiving the, the uh, respect and even reverence, I liked it. It made me feel good. It made me feel better than them. It made me feel, in a word, proud. Why is it? Because that's what money and things can do to you. They focus you on yourself, not on the reality of the world. And if we are not careful, the money and things for which we strive and which we have will make us to forget the Lord our God. 
as if we are the ones that have attained these things without any help from anybody else. Of course, you've probably worked hard. But that's about 10% of the whole formula because you could work your life away like many of the people I met in India and they barely could live. And that wasn't because they weren't hard workers because they didn't have Canada around them supporting their hard work. So be careful. Money and things get in our DNA. They get in our conversations. They get in our plans. They get in our children's hearts because they're in our hearts. God himself says, be careful that you don't forget God because of the temporal blessings. In fact, God has a great way of cutting through it. Listen to this verse. Listen, this is how God views our money and our things. This is a really interesting verse. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 7. For we brought nothing into the world. Do you remember when you were born? Yeah, most of us don't. But you came in this world, the only thing you had was an umbilical cord, maybe some hair, and a lot of slime all over you. Fluid. That's it. That's all you had. Naked we came into the world, and guess what? We brought nothing into the world. We can take nothing out of this. King James says, naked you came into the world. Naked you're going out of it. There's, you brought nothing in. You're not taking anything out. It's not that money and things are bad. It's just they're temporal. Put them in the right place and leave them there. In fact, use them for God. But that's a whole other story. Sermon. And I want to give you this verse, too, when it comes to the reality of the world that we live in, that you as a parent need to ingrain in your head, and I need to ingrain this in mine. <clears throat> what good will it be for my child to gain the whole world and yet forfeit the soul? Jesus. Oh. What good is it if I train my child to gain the whole world and they go to hell. My greatest responsibility as a parent, my greatest priority, is to help my kids make Jesus their greatest priority. Number one, everything else is secondary. Be careful money things. The other thing I want to say about that other danger that can get us away is this whole idea of control helicoptering over our kids. Now, I come from the generation of the story. My parents sent me out into the woods for a week and a half with nothing but one match, and I had to survive in the winter without a jacket. You know, I cut, that's my generation. We had it pretty good. We just like to make it sound like we didn't. But there is this natural tendency for us as parents to insulate our children from things that are hard, things that are hurtful, decisions they have to make. There's this natural tendency for us to swoop in and take care of all of that, and I don't really know why. Is it because we want them to have a great childhood? We don't want them to be burdened down. They're so young, they can't take it. I, I do believe, of course, as a parent, we have to protect our children from hurt and harm and dangerous things, and there are decisions we have to make for them, but not all of them. In fact, 
I'm going to guess we want to control our kids because we want them to be successful so it reflects good on us. I think that's one reason we want to control our kids because it's all about how they'll make us look. So we'll control them. Or we're so filled with fear of the world, we want to pull them outside away from things so they never get hurt, they never get harmed, they never have to deal with hard things. We'll do it for them. We don't want them to hurt because we're fearful. Now, I'm proud of my boys for a lot of different things. And my oldest one, Dallas, I'm proud of him for a lot of reasons. He is a great dad. He has three kids. And sometimes I go, man, where did you learn to father? It wasn't in my home. Because the things you do, I, I never would have thought of. So I was talking to him on the phone the other day. So he has three kids, Livy, she's eight. Mav, Maverick is four. Austin is two. So he pulls up to a restaurant, the whole family, five of them, pulls up the restaurant, opens the door. Maverick, the four-year-old, jumps out and goes in by himself into the restaurant to make a reservation. <laughs> Dallas parks the car. Now, can you imagine you're the host? You know, they stand at the door, and you look, and you see this little four-year-old just going, ah, pulling on the door and trying to get through, finally gets through. And he, he is a funny kid. He walks up right up to the host. Table for five. My name's Mav. He's four years old. Like, you're looking. Is this a joke? I said, why do you do that? He goes, my kid needs to know how to solve problems in life. I mean, life is going to be filled with problems, Dad. You know that. And I want to teach them how to deal with problems and solve issues when they're just little. It'll build a confidence in them so that when I'm not around, when I'm not around, they know they can handle stuff. He's not sheltering him. I mean, how many of you have sent your four-year-old into a restaurant to make a reservation? I got one hand. That's such bad parenting. What happens if he gets in there and, and what? Fails? Now, he, Dallas doesn't send his oldest, his daughter, in because she couldn't handle it. So he assesses the situation. So what he did with her, they went into this restaurant, and they're waiting for the food. She goes, Dad, I'm so hungry. Where's the food? So Dallas goes, am I the one that's making the food? No. Am I the one that brings the food to the table? No. Well, then who do you need to ask? The waiter comes over. I'm really hungry. Where's my food? <laughs> now, if you're a waiter, what are you going to do with an eight-year-old? That's you're like, oh, I, I, poor eight-year-old is. What's she learning? I'm responsible. I'm responsible. I need to take action. It's in the hurts, in the challenges, in the difficulties that we grow and your kids grow. Stop solving the problems for them on the playground. Stop solving the problems for them in the street when they're hanging out with their kids. Once they get old enough, stop solving their problems with their teachers and with their coaches 
and with their landlords and with their spouses. Stop it. They need to grow up. I'm going to tell you, not all pain and difficulty is bad. Now, your job as a parent is to assess what they can handle and what they can't handle. I get that. Stop helicoptering over them so they can't make any decisions. They can't face any adversity. They can't face any hard times. When they come home, support them and encourage them and love them and pray with them, but let them go out and deal with their issues. Be careful of the God of money and things. Be careful of thinking you're to control your kid. You're not. You're to train them up. Different. And be careful of trying to be their friend. Now that, remember I said I sent the, the email to 25, that came back a lot. Don't be your friend to your kids. Be their parent. Now, <laughs> I think you know what I mean by that. Of course you want to be friendly with your kids, but you're first and foremost their parent, not their friend. And I get it. I understand why you want to be their, their friend. Because, I mean, parenting is hard. It's, it's draining. And you know if you're going to be the parent, this is going into a big battle, especially as they get older. They get, you know, able to respond more back. Uh, whether they're supposed to or not, they will. And, and, and you don't have the energy. And, you know, a 16-year-old has a ton of emotional energy to expend that you don't have. And so it's easier just to say yes, just to keep them happy. Or you, you just want to be their friend because you want to be liked by them, which is more about you than it is about them, about you, what you need, not about what they need. And I have found that the parents who were the parents in the teenagers, when they're in their 20s, they are friends. They are friends. But, you know, from zero to 22, 25, whatever the number is for your child, you're to be the parent. <laughs> so, one of our sons, I won't name that son, got in with a bad crowd in high school for two, two and a half years. Or wanted to get into a bad crowd. And wanted to hang out with these kids. And Crystal and I were like, now, there's something wrong here. These kids aren't really going to help him. They're going to more lead him astray away from Jesus than they are going to lead him to Jesus. And so we said no. We wouldn't let him go to parties. We wouldn't let him go to uh, uh, stayovers. We wouldn't give him the car unless we knew exactly where he was going to be. And in uh, those times when he caught him in the wrong place with the car, he lost the car. Uh, we fought him. And we were called... We just, Dad, Mom, I just love you too. But just wondering if you two could just, you know, let me hang out with you. You think that's how it went? You're the worst parents in the world. You don't trust me. You're not like the other parents. They let their kids hang out together. You, you're too mean. You're, you're too strict. You're too self-righteous. We got it all. 
So much so that I began to wonder, maybe I'm being a little bit too mean, self-righteous. And so Crystal and I prayed about that. Prayer was the biggest thing we did together for our kids. We prayed about it and we were like, no, this is important. If, they're, if he's going to love Jesus, those kids aren't taking him any closer, so we're not going to be a part of it. He's going to have to sneak around behind our backs and when we catch him, poo, we'll lower the boom. So two and a half years of this battle in our lives. So he decides he wants space from mom and dad. So he's going to go work at a Christian camp. You do realize that most of the kids that go work at a Christian camp aren't going there because they love Jesus and want to serve him. Though some are. Some aren't. It's because I'm two hours away from mom and dad and I can do what I want. What they don't realize is the camp is stricter than we are. But anyway, that was okay. We said, go, you go, serve Jesus at the camp. Go, 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 go. So uh, I went up uh, in late summer to pick him up when he was done. And he said, can I drive? And I said, sure. So he was driving the truck and uh, we were talking. He was just telling me about his summer. <laughs> in the middle of it, he stops and he looks at me. He's driving. So he looks at me and he goes, Dad, thank you so much for fighting me all through high school with my friends because if I had hung out with them, I never would follow Jesus. Well, if it wasn't for auto locks on my door, I'd have been laying on the ground. I'm like, you're kidding me. This is what I'm thinking. You're kidding me. You called us everything you could think of through high school because we were so mean and now you're thanking me and it hit me you're a parent not a friend and if you hold on long enough they usually come around but you gotta hold on it's easy to become the friend, to let loose, to not make any demands or any discipline or, or any rules or, or respect in your home because it's just a fight. Like there, there's a fight to it at times. Now some of you have kids that, that, that were good kids and never really fought you and some of you are going, that's, that's the worst you got? Boy, you got off light. Were their parent. And Proverbs says parents love their kids by parenting. And we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about this calling that we have, and I'm going to talk about three more principles about parenting that I'm, I'm going to show you in Scripture come out. And they become the foundation that we build our parenting on so that when we face specific instances, we have at least some guidelines from Scripture about what is wise parenting. How do we parent well? The first one is, it's a calling. It's a what? Calling. Your priority is to help your children make Jesus their priority. That's it. Do that. Anything that gets in the way of that, get rid of it. And everything that can help you do that, implant it into your family. That's it. That's your job description. Now today I hope you think of three things. One, parenting is a responsibility, but it's more than that. It's a calling from God. And therefore, since it's a calling, it is worth my greatest effort and strength. 
It is worth the sacrifices I need to make. It's worth it because God has entrusted to me the thing he loves most in this world, human beings, and he's entrusted some to me. Secondly, if God calls this a calling in our lives, then prayer ought to be a big part of how we care and parent our children because God says, it's a calling and I'll walk with you and help you in this. Now call on me. Those who seek me will find me. And so in your parenting, are you calling on him? God doesn't just speak here Sunday mornings, but I hope he does. But he also speaks to you when you seek him throughout the week. And the third thing is, set it in your calendars to come and hear the principles God would give you to help you parent well over the next three weeks. Jesus, thank you for the truth that you give us in your word. Help the moms, help the dads here today. I know all of us fail, and so I know there's discouragement. I know we struggle. I hope my sermon wasn't something that caused more struggle, but was hopeful. Well, I, I shouldn't say that, Lord. I, there's some ways we need to stop, so maybe we needed correction that way, but my ultimate prayer is that they would be, all of us here, that our parents would be recharged and realize we can get help from you and do this well. Not perfect, we'll make mistakes, but well. And that you, your, your greatest priority in our children is that they would love Jesus. And so we join with you when we make that our greatest priority and give us the courage and the wisdom to do that well. Amen. Would you please stand as we respond?